You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and before we jump into today's episode, I want to invite you to attend a free live masterclass that I will be teaching in September, which is just around the corner. For a while now, I've been wanting to gather with this community of moms on Zoom to learn and laugh together, and this past week, I polled the moms who follow me on Instagram and who receive my email newsletter to ask them what they might want to learn about. The topic they chose was how to be a less angry mom. Of course, for many of us, anger with our kids comes out as yelling. And maybe after a long summer break with your kids, you've done more yelling than you would have liked. But anger can also manifest in ways other than yelling, such as withdrawing emotionally and simmering with resentment. I have definitely done all of that myself. And honestly, sometimes I don't even recognize that it is anger that I'm feeling underneath some of my behaviors. If this resonates with you, I hope you'll join me for this free masterclass in September. There are three dates to choose from, and I will be live on Zoom for each one of them. You can go to 3in30podcast.com slash free class to sign up now. That's 3in30podcast.com slash free class. See you soon. Welcome to 3in30, a podcast to help you feel more like yourself within your motherhood. Each 30-minute episode features three actionable takeaways to help you become a more self-assured mom, someone who knows yourself, honors your needs, and loves your people. Listen in to feel encouraged as we learn together how to overcome overwhelm and find more magic in motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. I'm so glad you're here. In my podcast introduction, which you hear every week and you just heard moments ago, I mentioned my three pillars of self-assured motherhood. Know yourself, honor your needs, and love your people. Today's episode is going to give more insight into all three and how knowing yourself, which I purposely put first as the foundational pillar in my framework, is the key to everything else. Our guest today to teach us how to know ourselves better is Alyssa Blask Campbell. CEO of Seed and Sew, a platform that offers consultations and courses on emotional intelligence, as well as creating a modern parenting village. Alyssa has a master's degree in early childhood education, is a leading expert in emotional development, and travels the globe speaking on this topic. Her first book, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, How to Navigate Tantrums, Meltdowns, and Defiance to Raise Emotionally Intelligent Children, publishes on October 10th, and you can pre-order now. I'm thrilled to have Alyssa on the podcast this week talking about her book and about emotional intelligence, what it is, and how we can foster it in ourselves and our children. This is Alyssa's second time coming on 3 and 30, and I can't wait for you to hear from her again. So with no further ado, here's my conversation with Alyssa Blask Campbell. Alyssa, it is so fun to have you back on 3 and 30. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, I'm so jazzed to get to hang with you again. I loved our first conversation. It was so popular with my community. Everyone loved hearing about why your kids melt down after school and what to do about it. So we'll be sure to link that in the show notes. And I'm so excited for your new book coming out, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions. I love the title. And I've noticed in your work that you use the word humans a lot. Instead of mm -hmm. saying children or kids, a lot of times you'll say small humans or tiny humans. And that's in the title of your book, I just wanted to start by asking, why is that? Why do you use the word humans a lot in what you do? 
it reminds me that they are humans, right? Like I think for myself, I've been doing it for years, maybe a decade where I've called them tiny humans largely because otherwise I can put them in a separate category in my brain of like mm-hmm. they're kids. And then I have a different way of almost like treating them, if you will, versus it's like this reminder to me that they're humans. They're yeah. going to experience life as a human. Yeah. And I love the reminder that a lot of what I experience as a big human, my littles experience as little humans. Like we're not really that different. And if I can relate and connect and get on their level and realize they are just little humans, it helps me to have so much more compassion and grace for them and to see myself in them and in the ways that I interact with them. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. And even if you don't have any tiny humans, the women who are listening to this podcast, if your humans are bigger humans, teenage humans, growing humans, all of these takeaways will definitely apply. And so I'm just so excited to dive in. We're going to talk about emotional intelligence today. So Alyssa, before we start, I vaguely know what emotional intelligence is. I think most of us listening have a sense, a vague sense, but like, what is it? (laughs) How would you define it? Yeah, in practice, it looks like the ability to notice what's happening for you. So often what we want from ourselves and from kids and those around us is self-control, the ability to choose your thoughts and your actions to speak in a certain tone or to show up in a certain way. And in order to achieve that, we need first self-awareness and then self-regulation skills. And those are two huge components of emotional intelligence. So when you have self-awareness and self-reg, then you can move forward with intention. You can choose your thoughts and your actions going forward. And then you can do higher level stuff like connect with others, be empathetic, read the room, what's socially appropriate for that space and how do I connect within it? Yeah. I think so many of us as adults didn't grow up with these tools. I sure didn't. And it's not a knock to my parents. They were awesome and rad. And we've learned so much in the decades since I was a tiny human that we should see progress and changes in how we are parenting and showing up and what we're teaching. Uh, It would be a real bummer if we were all doing things the exact same way. Yeah. And I wrote about this in my book, but I was at my parents' house and I was going through pictures and saw a picture of myself in my car seat as a baby. And I was like, oh, yikes. (laughs) What is that? How did I survive? Thank goodness we didn't get into a car accident. And my mom was like, I didn't even have a car seat when I was a baby. Like My mom helped me. And then I was sitting in the back seat and that was it. And I was like, oh, this is such a good like she didn't have a car seat. I had this like bucket with straps. Basically, my kid is in like a fortress and (laughs) he's not going anywhere. And looking at how like we've made those generational shifts and I don't look back and I'm like, mom, why didn't you put me in this car seat that Sage, my two year old has like that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same here with looking at building emotional intelligence in kids and in adults is like, well, where are you? What have you learned? What skills do you have? What are you coming to the table with? And then where do we go from there? Because maybe you have good self-awareness and it's working on self-reg. Or Mm -hmm. maybe motivation is something that's an area of growth for you or the social skills or empathy. Like it it might be that you have some of these things that you really have honed. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking at these other components. Yeah. 
I love that metaphor with the car seat because I think sometimes people can sort of knock this new way of parenting or this gentler way of parenting and saying like, oh, so warm and fuzzy. We didn't do it that way when we were kids and we're fine. Or, you know, you hear that kind of <laughs> rhetoric. And I'm like, nobody would knock somebody for using a better car seat now that a better car seat exists. They wouldn't be like, well, why are you putting them in that extra safe car seat? Just put them back in the bucket with straps. But sometimes there can be this feeling that this new way of parenting is cushy or it's doing our kids a disservice, which all the research shows the exact opposite, that yeah. it does kids an incredible service to be parented in emotionally intelligent ways, in ways that build emotional intelligence. And 20, 30 years ago, when we were being raised, there wasn't the same level of technology to be able to see what shame does to the brain and different things like that. And now they know that. And so we've modified the way we parent to fit with what we are learning about the human brain. And I'm so glad we are. It is mm -hmm. such a positive new way to parent, but can be a little counterintuitive to some of our like human instincts and even the ways we were parented ourselves. So that's why I'm so grateful to you for doing this work and for publishing your book and making this more widespread, this knowledge and this information so that more parents can learn these important skills. So let's start with your first takeaway about how we can start to build emotional intelligence in ourselves, and then we'll model that for our children. Totally. So my first takeaway for y'all today is to notice how you feel throughout the day. This is the self-awareness component, and we often want to jump over it. We want to be at a place of regulation. We want to be in a place of self-control, and you can't regulate what you're not aware of. And so we start by noticing, how do you feel throughout the day? You can try leaving a notebook out in a place you frequent during the day or set a reoccurring timer. This was my choice was I set a bunch of random alarms on my phone when I started doing this work that would go off. And when it went off, it was just my signal to myself to pause and just notice, not change anything, not whatever. But like, where are my shoulders? What's happening with my heart? What's going on inside for my body right now? And can I just drop my shoulders down? Can I slow my heart down? Do I need to... Do I need a drink of water? Like, mm. how am I doing? Right. Yes. And just starting to notice, because I think so often when we talk to kids about this, we talk about it like a volcano where we want them to learn what it feels like when it's bubbling up before it erupts. And the same thing with us that, like, I can tell you when I'm yelling, I can tell you when I'm <laughs> snapping and when I'm snippy and sarcastic. But noticing it before you get to that point, that's a practice mm -hmm. and it's a challenge. And so start by just noticing how you feel throughout the day. This is how we build that self-awareness, which is going to then be foundational for self-regulation. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes we've ever done on 3 and 30. In fact, when people ask me what the most impactful episode for me personally has been, this is the one that comes to mind. It's how to emotion coach your children mm -hmm. with Georgia Anderson. She was trained by John Gottman using his emotion coaching yeah. process. And her first takeaway was notice emotions when they're small. Mm. And that reminds me of exactly what you're saying. That interview was so transformational for me because it was towards the beginning of my show before I'd been exposed to a lot of this type of research and parenting methodologies and it changed the way that I was interacting with my very strong-willed son that has really big emotions. I started to try to notice sooner when he was starting to be dysregulated. 
and to coach him using this process that Georgia walked me through in the episode. And it changed the trajectory of our relationship, truly. And huge. so I totally am on board with this. But I also love that you're just saying notice your kids' emotions when they're small. Notice your own emotions and feelings and what's going on in your body. And that's not easy to do as busy moms because mm-hmm. we are like inundated with stimulation and we're busy and we're going, going, going. So I love the idea of having a reminder. Stop. How am I doing? Check in, write it down and kind of examine what's going on with yourself. Yeah, exactly. And thank you. I love the like notice it when it's small. And I think we're really good at doing things when it comes to doing them for our kids. Mm -hmm. And it's until we need to do it for our kids that I don't think we're necessarily great at saying, I'm going to just do this for me. Yeah. If you aren't taking care of yourself and doing this work with ourselves, then in the moment, you're not going to access like, how am I supposed to respond in the moment? What was that activity I could do with them? You're not going to have access to that part of your brain. Yeah. And so this really helps us get in a space where we can show up with intention. Yeah. And I was thinking, Alyssa, as you talked about having a notebook open, I had a period this winter of depression. And that's pretty common for me in the winter, but it seemed even more intense this year. And as much as I hate it when I have those episodes and those seasons and I just want them to end. There's also a gift in that it slows me down from my regular Mm. productive go, go, go life. And I have to turn inward a little bit more than I usually do and ask, like, how am I really doing and what do I need? And every night I had a calendar, just like a little day planner. And every night I would just write a scale, one being I was super low today, two was I was just kind of blah, and three was I felt like myself. And so every night I would just stop and ask, how was I actually today? And I'd write a number and then I'd like write down a few notes or thoughts about how I was doing. And I started tracking that because I wanted to be able to bring it to my doctor and talk about the data of how often I was feeling this way. But it was such a gift to myself to see the patterns and to notice how I was doing and if there was any common things that were, you know, triggering or different things like that. And I will say that now that I'm doing better, I'm much less likely to stop and think about how I'm doing. And so Mm. there is a little bit of a gift in like those seasons where you have to turn it in, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because then we feel like we're up against the wall. Like I need to tap into something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that leads really well into your next takeaway. After we have this awareness of how we're doing and we're actually noticing our bodies and our emotions and our sensations, what do we do next? Now is where we build our toolbox of coping strategies. And what's key is we're not trying to build a new strategy for regulation in the moment of dysregulation, right? We can't (laughs) build something new in those moments. And so what we're looking at here is figuring out we all have eight sensory systems and there are some things that we will be sensitive to that really drain our nervous system. And there are some things that will really energize us or regulate us. We think of these as like our recharging. If you think of a battery, what drains us, what recharges us? And for all of us, that's different. And we actually have a free quiz if people want to take it that we put together with an occupational therapist that goes into this where you can you can take as many times as you want for yourself, for your kids, et cetera. It's just seedquiz.com where you can go through and see like, what might I be sensitive to or what might I be seeking? What helps me regulate? 
And once we can look at those things and say, like, for myself, I'm sensitive to vestibular movement, which is like being on swings or spinning around. I'm sensitive to sound. And so I know that if especially sounds like tapping or clicking, if my child is playing with this Thomas the Train toy that he's obsessed with, that every time it gets stuck in the corner of something makes this terrible clicking noise that makes me want to chuck it out a window. If he's playing with that, I know I'm going to have to tap into some regulating activities because that's going to pull from my battery. It's going to drain me. I can actually envision the noise that you're talking about right now because my son was also obsessed with Thomas the Train. It's probably the exact same toy. And if, yeah, if it gets slightly off the track or it like ends at and you're like, what? So I'm with you. It makes me want to murder someone. Yeah. And I I just like, oh, my gosh, it, it drives me nuts. And it doesn't bother my husband. Right. Like it is. So recognizing that we all have different nervous systems and. What I'm sensitive to and then what regulates me, I'm regulated by touch. Like I could have a massage for four days and be like, I want more. Or Mm. I'm a human who I like love the newborn stage because I love having a baby on my body. It's really hard for me to get touched out. Like that regulates me. My husband gets touched out pretty easily. And so when we're looking now at our coping strategies, I'm starting first with what regulates me. I know that big body movement, our proprioceptive input, regulates me. And I know that touch regulates me. I know that sound drains me. I know that vestibular movement can drain me. And so when I'm turning to a regulating activity, I'm going to look at what in these categories do I know of? And we have free lists of them if people want access to them. Or like through that quiz, it'll give you activities that are specific to you. That can help regulate your nervous system. So for me, I will do things like squeeze my hands really tight and let them go for that proprioceptive input. So big body play could be like I'm squeezing my muscles and letting them go or as big as I'm doing a kickboxing class. And frankly, I don't always have access to a kickboxing class when I'm dysregulated. And so it's looking at like what can I access in the moment I have gone into the bathroom by myself with a screaming child on the opposite side of the door and done 10 jumping jacks while I take some deep breaths. Mm -hmm. What are the activities that calm my nervous system, my unique self? And that's where we are going to tap into our coping strategies. Now, if you can take five minutes to list out like what calms me, Mm -hmm. that's what you're going to pull from in the moment. Yeah. I think it's beautiful how you know yourself that well. You know what you need. Taking the time to investigate yourself and figure out and track and think about and learn and go take this quiz. Because I'm like, I don't know what kind of movement is best for me. For me personally, I have a good idea with what a lot of my emotional coping strategies are. Like journaling really helps me, talking to my sisters. But I'm not as connected to my physical body and what my physical Mm. body craves. And so that's something I'm taking away from this conversation is I want to go take that quiz and start doing some examining of what physical things make me feel more regulated. Because we're not just our minds. We're our bodies, too. We're souls with a body and a mind. And so Mm -hmm. I need to know how to take care of both. A hundred percent. And you hit the nail on the head with a couple things here. We separate sensory and emotional regulation. Okay. So we have sensory regulation at like the base of a triangle. 
and saying like, we have to start with the nervous system and then we can move into emotional regulation. And Mm. then ultimately at the top is language and communication. What are the words I want to say? How do I formulate this thought, et cetera? But if we think of like anxiety, anxiety is a big fancy word for I'm stuck in fear. And when we separate these out and say like, okay, the stuck part is my nervous system is producing cortisol or adrenaline. I'm in my amygdala, my feelings brain, and I'm stuck there. I'm Mm. spiraling in this nervous system space. I'm having a physiological reaction. And when we can focus on like, okay, how do I pump the brakes on those hormones and start to produce serotonin or oxytocin, these other hormones that are going to calm and regulate our nervous system, help us regain access to our prefrontal cortex, it doesn't mean you stop feeling scared. It means that you then can be with that emotion in a space where you're not fully dysregulated. Mm. You can say like, yeah, I'm feeling scared that this might happen. And what are some strategies I can tap into if that does happen? You know, like then we can use our prefrontal cortex and then ultimately access the language and communication center Mm. of our brain and say, oh, I need to be able to ask for this or talk to this person, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But really separating that out of we always start with the nervous system first. It's why talking to kids about what they should do next time in the moment isn't helpful. They can't access it yet, right? Like really focusing on, oh, wow, your body seems out of control. I'm going to be here to help you. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. My friends, school starts for my kids this week. Hallelujah. As excited as I am to get back into a routine, I will admit transitions are still hard. They come with a lot of feelings and questions, and I'm continually so grateful for the positive coping skills I've learned in therapy over the years. Whether you're dealing with challenges in your career, relationships, or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate your life, so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Therapy has empowered me to be the best version of myself and has taught me how to be kind to myself when I'm not feeling like the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I want to suggest BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your unique schedule done all online. Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com 3in30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com 3in30. This episode is also sponsored by PrepDish, a meal planning service to set you up for a successful week of recipes that fit your family, complete with a shopping list. This year on the show, we have talked a lot about simplifying mom life, and PrepDish helps you do just that. For those of you who aren't familiar with PrepDish, the genius idea behind this service is that you can spend one hour prepping your food at the beginning of the week and have five dinners ready to put together in record time on busy nights. There's lots of plans to choose from, including gluten-free, paleo, low-carb, and super-fast. Our family is loving the super-fast option this year. I so appreciate how it has all the recipes and ingredients listed for shopping and prepping, and it's also easy to omit a meal if you need to. I've found that this really helps to lighten my mental load when I can batch prepare what we're going to eat for the week in just a couple of hours. If you want to serve healthy, homemade meals without the stress, 
The founder of Prep Dish, a mom named Allison, is offering listeners a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out prepdish.com slash 3in30 for this amazing deal. Again, that's prepdish, P-R-E-P-D-I-S-H dot com slash 3in30 for your first two weeks free. Let me know how you like it. And then what is your third takeaway for us? Yeah, so the third one is to unravel your triggers and biases. So when we're looking at implicit bias, we're looking at things like, what did we grow up with in our childhood that now subconsciously live within us, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up in a household where respect was huge. Above all else, respect would happen. And respect also in my household meant obedience. Mm -hmm. It meant not being defiant. It meant sometimes not questioning, Mm -hmm. right? And so now when a kid does this, when somebody is what I perceive in that moment as defiant, I have a trigger that says like, oh, they're not going to be successful in this world Mm -hmm. if that's how they're showing up, right? And so that trigger is going to pop up. And what I find really helpful in practice is in the moment, especially as you're practicing the self-awareness work of like noticing like, oh, yikes, I'm dysregulated. The more you practice the like, what does it feel like in my body? The easier it gets to be able to say like, what's the story I'm telling myself? Hmm. And I found it most helpful when I was starting this work to come back to the what's the story I was telling myself about that behavior later. And Mm -hmm. I considered it my practice. I called where the wheels came off the bus. And I would just like look back for five minutes and be like, okay, when did I lose my cool? Or when did I feel really annoyed with them today or frustrated with them? And what's the story I was telling myself Mm -hmm. about their behavior? And then when I do that, then I can investigate like, okay, yeah, there's a trigger there. They weren't being respectful. And now I can ask myself, is this something I want to carry on? Mm. Because not every trigger is a bad one. Like sometimes it's going to give us information that we're like, yeah, this is a value I really want to carry. For instance, I don't want my child to hit me. And that's something that wasn't allowed in my household growing up. And it's not allowed in my household as a parent now. And that's something that still feels important to me Mm -hmm. is physical respect for another human. And so not all triggers are bad. They're just information. And when we can look at them as like, what is this information? And is it, as my friend Dr. Lynetta Willis, she calls them legacy blessings and legacy burdens. What are the blessings that we want to carry on from our childhood, from our social programming, from our culture, from our beliefs that we grew up with? And then what are the burdens that maybe we don't want to carry on? Right. And for me, one of those is like, yeah, I do want you to be able to tell me when you're upset, even if you're upset with me. And that was not something I could do as a child growing up. My two year old just said to me the other day, Mama, I'm feeling mad with you. And I was like, yeah, thank you so much for telling me. Mm -hmm. That makes sense that you're feeling mad with me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just told you you couldn't do something you want to do. You know, like that makes total sense to feel what you're feeling. Doesn't change my boundary. But he's not in trouble for telling me that he's mad with me Mm. or mad at me, right? And in childhood, if I would have said, like, Mom, I'm feeling mad at you that you won't let me X, Y, and Z, I would have gotten an explanation about, like, oh, well, you can't blah, 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 blah. And there wasn't a safe space to say that. Mm. I wasn't allowed to just feel that. And so that's one of those for me that is a legacy burden. And I'm like, I don't want to carry that on because I want him to know 
that he can always turn to me with this hard stuff, even when it has to do with me. Yeah. Well, I say that's a remarkably mature way for a two-year-old to express, I'm feeling mad with you, is so much better than (laughs) what my kids sometimes do, which is yell, I hate you. You know, but even that, like I have learned, and I did a whole episode on this of when your kids say they hate you. And I mentioned in there that as a newer mom, I was so triggered. You will not talk to me like that. And I would Mm. shut it Mm. down. And then I realized that they were having huge emotions that they didn't know how to express in words. They didn't have the verbal ability or the emotional skills to say to me, I'm feeling really angry with you right now. And so they Mm -hmm. would say something really hurtful. And I had to be adult enough to not freak out and make it worse and to be able to say to myself, my child doesn't really hate me. They're very angry about this. And if I come down hard on them right now and punish or spank or anything else, wash the mouth out with soap, like that's escalating the problem. And I'm meeting immaturity with immaturity. And Mm -hmm. like I can be the mature adult that can hold space for them to have those feelings. And later, when everybody's regulated, talk about better ways to express anger than saying, I hate you to the people you love. And, and realize right. that it's scaffolding, that my 10-year-old who says that to me is not going to be a 30-year-old man yelling, I hate you, at his mother, because we're going to work and scaffold so that he has more skills long before he's 30, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, I just love what you're saying here about how we can get so triggered by things and the stories that we're telling ourselves about certain behaviors that are actually very developmentally normal and appropriate. The emotions that children or we ourselves are feeling. And instead of shaming those to start to sort of accept them and to dig deeper and see where they come from, adds a new level of emotional intelligence to your life and to your toolkit. Exactly. And I have found for myself, like I have some triggers around how they express more than I have triggers around what they're really trying to express. Mm -hmm. And so for us, he knows how to say, I feel mad with you, mama, because it started with him hitting me. Yeah. And in the moment, me holding his hands and saying, I won't let you hurt my body and helping him regulate and going through. We have this whole process we outline in the book of like, how do you support your kid? Because it's not one size fits all. As we talked about, we all have different nervous systems. So what we need individually in the moment is going to be different. And so I'll go through this with him. And then in the end, which is phase five of five (laughs) for the emotion processing, when we get to that point, that's where I introduce new language. It's like, I wonder if you were hitting me, bud, because you were feeling mad at me when I told you you couldn't watch more Daniel Tiger or you couldn't whatever. And let him know next time you can say, I feel mad with you, mama, or I feel mad at you, mama. Mm-hmm. and gave him that language. And it's not like the next time he was like, great, I'm going to use it. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, the next time he still hit. And it's a huge practice of like me holding his hands, going through this, building these neural pathways, these kind of like exercises for the brain where he learns like, okay, when I hit, here's what happens. And that's right. Here's what I can say instead. Mm-hmm. And that that takes time too. But he only has that language because it started with hitting. Yeah. Because you gave him that language by modeling and narrating and working on your own emotional intelligence so that you could teach it to him. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing this wisdom, this little sneak peek into your work. If listeners want to learn more from you, where would you like them to start? Well, you can snag the book, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, wherever books are sold. And it's broken into three parts. 
Part one is about us as the adult. Part two is about kids. And part three is like special circumstances and how to do higher level stuff like build empathy. Mm. And what happens if you're navigating transitions of adding a sibling or divorce or move, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so even if you don't have kids, there's a lot that's packed into here. We have a lot of folks who have this book for themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the joke in our community is like, oh, I came for the kids, but I stayed for myself. Yeah. And <laughs> it's so real. So tiny humans, big emotions. And follow us over on Instagram at seed.and.so. And we have a weekly podcast, Voices of Your Village podcast. Yeah. And I will be a guest there sometime in the next few months. So we'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes. And I just want to thank you so much, Alyssa, for your time today and also for the work that you do and bringing this to families all over the country and world. It's so impactful. And thank you for what you do. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Many thanks to Alyssa for sharing her wisdom with us today. And don't forget to go right now while you're thinking about it to pre-order her book, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, which will come out October 10th. I'm so excited for her and thrilled to help her spread the word about her work. By way of recap, here are Alyssa's three takeaways for how we can better know ourselves and become more emotionally intelligent. First, notice how you feel throughout the day. Try leaving a notebook out in a place you frequent during your day or set a recurring timer to remind you to observe how you feel in your body and your emotions. This is how we build self-awareness, which is foundational for self-regulation. You can't regulate what you're not aware of. Second, build your toolbox of coping strategies. Take the time to discover your own coping strategies for your own unique nervous system. What does your body need you to do when you're feeling big emotions? You could push up against the wall, take a dance break, or squeeze your hands tightly and release. You could swing on a swing or do jumping jacks or simply take three deep breaths. Every body needs something different. So start to get curious and notice what seems to calm you. And third, unravel your triggers and biases. When you notice yourself feeling triggered by something your child is doing, write it down to come back to it later in a calm time and investigate what's underneath the trigger. It might be a sensory trigger that you need to be aware of, such as too much noise or too much touch, but it might also be a belief from your own childhood of how children should behave. Once we can see the stories we're telling ourselves about our kids' behaviors, we can work to help ourselves rewrite that narrative and show up for our children in a different way. Especially if you relate to that last takeaway about understanding your triggers and why you get angry and overstimulated at times, you need to come to my free Zoom class in September all about mom rage and what we can do about it. You can reserve your seat at 3in30podcast.com slash free class, and I can't wait to dive even deeper into this topic with you. That's 3in30podcast.com slash free class. Friends, I am rooting for you as you do this important work of knowing yourself so you can love your people better. You're doing a really good job, and I hope you have a beautiful week with your family. Mm